This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. For now, we welcome you to another tech-packed edition of Bite Into It this evening. Pressing our buttons and on mic is Dan Salmon. Hello. Hello. And we have James Noble to my left. Howdy how, children. Howdy indeed. Uh, so later on this evening, our roving reporter, Laura Summers, has been out there uh, getting more interviews. This, this time she's reporting back from Web Directions and it's their Code 2016 special. So we'll have a couple of conversations with people who featured at that great event in the first week of August. But before we get to that, time for some news. Now, there is a Can bit of an elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really what, what happened in technology in the last yeah, 24 there's, hours? Yeah, there's an elephant mm. in the room and the elephant is the census. We did have his point four, didn't we? Let's go straight to number one. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I was probably one of the... Uh, I, I, I'm assuming that most people in in this building were a little bit more um, remiss to fill out fill it out last night. Mm. So I didn't find out about it until I started looking at social media and uh, and everyone complaining about it on Facebook. Um, the biggest one I saw, I think I actually copied and pasted it and claimed it as my own, was someone said uh, the cost for Australian taxpayers for the 2016 ABS census uh, uh, IT was 9.6 million dollars. The damage for future online government services priceless. Oh. <laughs> Look, I, I don't want to just do the census bashing. I yeah. mean, you know, but feel free to get it off your chest if, if you need to. What was to. your name again? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, did you guys, I mean, I actually attempted because I was I afraid of the once. fine. Um, I attempted to. So no one, no one in the room got through? No. I do, I do know someone who did get through and said that their experience of filling it out was actually quite simple. So there's that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I suppose we could go into all kinds of. I still yeah. want to fill it out in paper. I don't, but I can't fill it out because the paper never. Re- I never received the thing with the number with the code in it. <laughs> yeah. So how do I? And then what you're going to find me because you didn't send me a mail out. I want to get ahead of this because oh, I, sorry, I think yeah, that something something yeah. interesting about this story was how <coughs> people who have criticised the way this census was going to be run have now started being attacked by the public servants and the the ministers and things uh, responsible for it running smoothly, who who seem to be lashing out a bit at privacy advocates and at uh, technology experts and saying, well, you know, if you hadn't created such a negative atmosphere before the census, we wouldn't have been a target for a DDoS attack. Now, you know, DDoS denial of service um, attack, a distributed denial of service attack in this case. So it, it was kind of interesting for me to hear that spin. I thought that was that was quite unfair. I thought that, you know, maybe a little bit more engagement with, with that community who they're lashing out at mm. might have solved some of these problems or at least, you know, raised them as massive concerns. It may very well have, and I, I do agree, but at the same time, it was a very high-profile kind of... Um, it always is, Yeah, right? well, mm. well, this is the but, thing. But, I mean, yeah. it, pe- people were jumping up and down for weeks about how it was going to be a honeypot for, you know, mm. DDoS attacks and generally people trying to get into data. Yeah. So it became a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think. So mm. there's that, but you can't you can't attack people for calling out what they see as problems with the process and then saying, because of that, we suffered the problems that you spoke <laughs> about. Instead, you know, you should say, well, if we'd engage with you and address some of these issues, maybe we wouldn't have had such negative publicity before this came up. And I really believe in the objectives of the census. I mean, there's there's really vital infrastructure um, and planning reasons why we need to collect this sort of data, and, that, and that's fine. I'm all for it as well, but yeah. I, it should, I still agree with it, the anonymity. Like, mm, mm-hmm. 
And if you're going to put it online, and then you can, you've basically got the entire country's Absolutely. details. If you hack it and get it, yeah, then you then have you can steal every every Australian's ID and create credit cards and do go. You can go to town. Absolutely. Well, I, I, but I did like the, the chaser. I love you. <laughs> um, I love their title of government claim census triumph. We are a proud nation of four million people. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did see one that was along the lines of Australia has been confirmed as a population of two, two, uh, 28 people, which um, <laughs> I, I think is kind of what... Well, we'll have the uh, appropriate bandwidth uh, with our internet services for those 28 people, so that's the good news. Well, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, my main, uh, one of my big concerns about this was that it really, and, and you, you kind of alluded to it before, James, that it's, it's a huge blow to the trust that people will have in online government mm. services and in the digitisation of data more, gen- more generally. It could take years for people to trust um, the government to run stuff online again. And I, 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 I'm I hoping think that's not the case. I think that if you have the right information, you should be able to articulate that you've got a solid process in in um, in form. And you, you really, just like any other part of government, part of your job is to engage with the community and with experts and have these transparent discussions. Absolutely, it is. And um, but an, another another point that I did want to make was the this idea that the importance of the census, with all of the argument that was going on, seems to have been lost in translation almost. I mean, we saw, uh, and I think Vanessa and I, you, we were talking uh, about the, a particular episode of The West Wing where they could talk about the importance of the census, and I'm sure that anyone who hasn't watched The West Wing is going, what the hell is he talking about? But, Sam Seaborn and the census. Exactly. But at the same time, the... The census is a hu- is is the kind of the basis of a lot of government policy. Um, you know, where where do hospitals go? Where do schools go? Um, th- these kind of things are informed largely by the data that is taken in by the census. And if and if people are by and large not trusting of the methods that the census is being taken, or they just think that they don't want this kind of data to be um, to be, I suppose, collected by the government, then we're 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 seeing, I think. The possibility think, of major problems in think, the future. Do you think the general population, though, know and understand what the census is for, other than knowing that it's a prerequisite to fill out? I don't think that people generally do. And it's I, never it, explained to you what it is. Absolutely not. They just say you need well, to do it. I, I disagree. I think it usually is explained. Um, in the knowledge of television. Well, yeah, in the Possibly. old days, it always used to be that there would be a TV campaign before the census collectors would come around. And because people came around in person, they would come around and part of their job was to say, hey, here's your census forms. Do you have any questions? And that's they would be the front line of that management. So that it's been desensitised yeah. through technology rather than. I think so. That, that system hasn't properly been re- replicated in because I remember, space. I remember ads when I first came to Australia, and it was always very green, and then they'd show little diagrams of houses and things. But it never went to the detail just of you saying that, Dan, that, the, that it says that it's with the way the location of a hospital goes. That yeah. sounds more important to me than saying, you know, what is your name? Where do you live? What do you watch? How much do you earn? Like, that's You make different. a great point, James, because I, I read a comment online that uh, even after <clears throat> the site had crashed, that there were still TV commercials going to air telling people to do the census <laughs> that night. And yeah. I, I, I guess that none of us were watching TV, like free to air, and saw those sort of commercials because the way we consume media has changed so much. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and I think that maybe in this particular instance, even if they had gone to the trouble of, you know, advertising and saying, you know, this is how you get a hospital in your suburb, 
that message may have been drowned out largely by the coverage of the negatives of, you know, they're taking your data, they're holding on to it for four years, it's going to be hacked by Russia, this kind of stuff. I I don't know if they would have been able to fight against oh, that, that, that messaging. Maybe, uh, but that's quite funny because um, this is... This has happened not long after we've had a federal election. And when the election was on, the narrative was very different from the tech community. And that narrative was from some parts of the tech community was how come we don't have online voting yet? And from other parts of the tech community, it was the same discussion, the same people saying, well, because we can't address the very particular requirements for identity and anonymity at various points in that process being managed together and, you know, doing all the checks that need to happen to, to you know, qualify the votes for an election. Mm. And we talked about how complex that, that was to achieve. And and once again, we've come, we've come to this and I actually think maybe it's a really timely little example yeah. Uh, yeah i mean instantly made me wake as, as you were saying that i was thinking of other ways because i'm in tech i was thinking well what why don't you use other people's um assurances of security say by having an app as simple as, as an app you then using say you download an android app or you're using the security of google or of apple as well as you putting in the details to validate who that person is that's downloading it so if you even when you log you use login with facebook and that's not really trusted but you know it's a way of being able to platform create another barrier of security to get access to that information i guess then the issue is that whoever the gatekeeper is though might yeah. might have a lot of data unless they do well, I guess, you know, Apple has a really great reputation for talking about how even we can't read your messages. So it can be done in a right way. Yeah. yeah. Can we use that as a segue? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. I think that's enough. People are censused out. Uh, so, uh, yeah, in, in terms of Apple news, um, they've uh, said that... Uh, Australia's banks have been posing a, uh, pose a security threat to their iPhones. So I... I Literally, this was a good article that I saw that was... Um, you know, ANZ are already on... Apple Pay, and That's they go right. through Apple Pay rather than having their own system on there. And the banks have, congr- have grouped together in Australia to try and get a... a um, Almost to negotiate as a cartel with yes. Apple. Yes, yeah. and they are opposed to, obviously. Yeah, so they're going to the ACCC to, to get permission to negotiate collectively because mm. normally that would be considered anti, uh, competi- anti-competitive. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. It's, it's surprising yeah. that they're they thought to do that and we all know that they, you know whenever an interest rate changes on a, on a mortgage so mm. within half an hour all the other banks do exactly the same thing so there's a bit something going on anyway but it's pretty obvious at that point if they're all grouping together and say hey let's try and push the largest company in the world to give us access to their sensors. Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago um, we had Cade on the show and that was when the banks were just p- petitioning to negotiate together and uh, Cade gave some of his opinions on um, the, the two sides of this argument and, and mm. how, you know, Apple does its security quite well and how it has some very real concerns about how banks might use things and also, you know, on the other side talking about, you know, the sort of cuts and, and time differences in processing payments and that sort of thing, other issues within the whole finance sector that, that yeah. can be really important. So it's it's nice to hear this update because this is the first time we've really heard from Apple in the piece. We've only heard from the banks before now. It was a long piece as well, now. wasn't it? They gave a good, a good explanation as well. Yeah, so, yeah, really they, they outline their near-field communications um, antenna usage and the fact that at the moment, you know, if you're writing an app, they won't give uh, the banks access to to that NFC antenna. Yeah, so yeah. basically in terms of, in layman terms, what they say so the NZ, it actually goes through the Apple system and you're using Apple Pay 
to then charge it to your account. account so you can so. imagine all along the way, you know, there's different service fees. And yeah. so that means Apple's getting a particular service fee that the banks are used to getting. Themselves. Mm. And then this way, what they're trying to petition to do, they get direct access to it. So it doesn't go through Apple Pay. It goes through their system, which then can be a security threat because it's not, their level of security is not as in-depth as Apple's. So that's kind of how it works. They're trying to and and the way Apple talk about this is that um, yes, it's it's inherently a disruptive technology, and that should be a good, healthy thing in a market, mm. and that by uh, by taking their stance, they are hopefully encouraging the raising of these security standards. Yeah, yeah it's it's mm. it's a pretty Fair interesting enough. argument. Yeah, and we are about to have a visit, an outer body experience with Laura Summers. <laughs> she was at Web Directions Code earlier in the month, and um, this is a chat she's had with Stephanie Ruiz. Enjoy. I'm here chatting to Stephanie Ruiz, who is the principal developer for the Salesforce UI framework called Lightning Design System. She's also super cool, and she gave this great chat on Flexbox and how to spin it up and use it for practical layout problems today. So thanks for chatting to me, Stephanie. Oh, you're welcome. Good to be here. To start with, I'd like to know, what is the tech or digital thing that wakes you up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night? What things upset you, bother you, or make you worried about the future? (laughs) Well, usually what keeps me awake is code bugs. And right now, our election that I read about on Twitter is really keeping me awake at night. And I do have a little problem with Pokemon Go knowing everything about you. So (laughs) these are very different problems. Has Pokemon Go not solved that we want to access everything in your Google account thing yet? I have a lot of friends that play it. I look at the game and I think I would probably love that. But A... I would probably, I, I haven't put it on my phone because I read about, you know, all the stuff and like you're, you're running around and you're interacting with other people who are all playing the same game and you know, it, it creeped me out a little bit. On the other hand, you know, I got addictive with angry birds, so I just am afraid that I would be like so ADD if I downloaded that to my phone. But Outside the privacy issues, I would be, like, finding, you know, Pokemon everywhere. And But, no, I don't think they've solved it. I don't. I really didn't know that, and I should probably go uninstall it from my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I will admit, I'm not really a gamer, but it's really addictive. You get started, and it's hard to stop. If we put aside the election and the scary orange fearmonger <laughs> that's happening there... Tell me about your computer habits. Like, what is the first site you check when you open up your laptop in the morning? Twitter. Honestly, Twitter, I mean, I've been on there forever, um, since I think about six months after it started. And I actually got engaged there. Greg and I were the first Twitter engagement. Then we got married there a year and a half later. So we were the first full-on Twitter wedding. And... When I started using Twitter, little by little, I just got over my RSS feed. I follow a very specific group of people that are either like people that I really respect in the tech industry or people that I really respect about politics or people that I really respect about health, you know, information. You know, anything that I'm really into, I find those people that I can interact with. And so 
I don't really feel the need to use an RSS feed anymore. Mm -hmm. I go on there, I go through my feed, I find articles I want to read, and I get my info that way. Mm -hmm. So that that's the first place I go. Yeah, Katie and I were just saying that we really miss Google Reader, and I don't think I've used an RSS feed reader since then. I don't think I have either. Mm -hmm. No, no. Coincidence? They, they, they really did. <laughs> they killed it. <laughs> what got you excited at the moment when you wake up in the morning? Like, what is the thing you want to go and hack on first thing? Oh, this is the saddest answer. My job is so busy <laughs> that I do good to get any alone times, any time that isn't works. I have been known to dream the way to solve a bug, or I have been known also to dream what might solve the bug, but do it over and over and over and wake up and go, I didn't really do it. So. My job is a little bit intense right now, and so sadly, I don't have some fabulous open source project that I'm working on, or I would like that. I, I, I think that will happen someday. Mm -hmm. I actually got into what I'm doing, coding, front-end coding, mm -hmm. because I love puzzles mm -hmm. and detective work and research and mm -hmm. figuring things out. And I think what I do uses that part of my brain so well that I don't really have a problem with not doing a lot of other exciting things mm -hmm. but i will someday do exciting things it's totally fine there's so much to do and so little time and honestly our jobs engage so much of our brains i know that i spend a lot of my time like my downtime or even shower time thinking oh that's the way to solve that problem shower time is known to be one of the best times to solve problems because you're not thinking like you can look at any psychology stuff mm -hmm. though um exercising like if you're jogging or walking or whatever mm -hmm. in the shower or sleeping at night those are the times that actually will let your brain let go of things enough to actually solve things. Mm -hmm. That is actually a known fact. Fascinating. So stopping trying to worry that problem and letting it simmer in the back of your brain actually helps. Exactly that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I love it. With regards to Twitter sharing information, one thing I'm always interested about in Twitter is that I find it simultaneously one of the most interesting places where people can share surprisingly in-depth ideas and then also one of the shallowest places where people just rage at each other with all of the articulation of three-year-olds. So true. And not only that, but we have a generation. We, I have four kids, four mm -hmm. boys, mm -hmm. from 18 to 27. Mm -hmm. And there is also something with that generation where they don't understand not oversharing mm -hmm. on social media. Mm -hmm. And they will say things that if they're not careful, we'll come back to haunt them when they go to get a job and, you know, those kinds of things. As to myself, I think I have my own little brand of a filter that I use. I want to be very transparent and I want to be a human. You know, I do speak a lot and I do, I think I have almost 10,000 followers at this point and I follow almost a thousand people. I want to be authentic and I want to be real and I want to empower other women or other people entering our industry or that are dealing with issues that I've dealt with in my life because I'm older than a lot of the young kids on Twitter and I've already processed a lot of things and I'm happy to share wisdom as an older person. But I find especially being a woman in tech, I find there's a lot of attention put on that and what do women need to do and then women get attacked on Twitter ridiculously. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of walk that fine line between 
sharing too much personal information about where you are and what you're doing and then what you think about something because if you're not careful, you will end up with... So one time, I don't even know how this happened, but one time, all of a sudden, this guy started talking to me on Twitter and he was painting me this giant picture. Yeah, you can't see my hands. I would say like... 12 feet by six feet, giant thing, in bright colors. And I started going through his tweet stream and then looking at his poetry and looking at all this stuff. And in the end, it was like, I'm not sure he was mentally too stable. So then you, you figure out, how do I not engage this person? I've got horrified jaw on the ground face. That's yeah. petrifying. It, it so was. did you block him? I didn't block him. I sort of waited to write it out and see what happened. And in the end, he posted all these pictures of the painting as he went through it. And oddly, the other things he had painted were like some really odd images of scantily clad women, which I was not. It was just head and shoulders. And in the end, I just sort of ignored it and kept a copy and you know and and then he he did go away but mm -hmm. some women are not that lucky i mean some women are doxxed and publish their home address and end up you know saying horrible things and getting them persecuted so i have been very tempted over the years being a woman in tech and being a little older in giving my views about women in tech how we can attract more why we don't have more etc mm -hmm. except i know everyone's experience is different mm -hmm. and so the moment i go on record as to saying why i believe whatever has happened to women has happened to women mm -hmm. that will only be true for the women that have had experiences like myself mm -hmm. and so i have quietly mentored women behind the scenes but I'm very careful about not invalidating other women's experiences, which are not the same as my own, mm -hmm. and therefore have been very reticent about sharing my own experiences and what worked for me because that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a really touchy, you know, it's a really touchy yeah. thing. And Twitter, you can set off a rampage and a rant and a people freak out. I feel like that's due to the anonymity. Even if they're using their name, they will say things on social media that they would never say looking you in the eye. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. the pain of social media, I mm -hmm. think. I definitely agree that having that layer of anonymity and also having that buffer, you're not talking to another person, you can't read tone, you can't right. necessarily contextualize any of the things people are saying. So and you only have 140 characters on Twitter. Yeah. And I have a friend, Amy Jo Martin, that did a lot in the social space back in the day. And, you know, she was like, don't use smiley faces, don't use emoji. I do it all the time and I can't help it because I, I'm very cognizant that I want someone to know when I'm being sarcastic, when I'm smiling, when I'm being a dork, silly goofball. I will use that kind of stuff, even though maybe not the most professional thing because you, you can't hear tone. And it's, it's one of those things that I feel like... You never want someone to think you're serious if you're really not. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And to be fair, Twitter is not necessarily the platform for your personal, professional persona anyway. Right. We're blending a lot of that personal, professional identity anyway with social media, but it's not your CV, it's not your professional history, it's not the thing where people should be deciding whether or not they want to hire you for that gig. Um, That's true. However, I will say that you can build a lot of respect mm -hmm. by the knowledge you share. Mm -hmm. And 
It also is a great way to continue a network. Let's say you meet people in one city and you keep in touch for years, mm -hmm. having only met them once. And by the time you meet them again, you feel like you really know them because you've seen, mm -hmm. you know, what their kids are doing, what they're doing. And they went here on vacation and it makes you feel closer to people than you really are, which is great, I think. I totally agree. I think there's the need for people to be able to connect and share. And I think it's really nice that I can form professional associations with people, but then also appreciate them as humans and as individuals and know that they have interests and hobbies and adorable cats that look like my adorable cat on Instagram. You know, like that stuff is great. I think everyone loves to bemoan how big and personal and unconnected the world is. But I think that there's in a lot of ways that's really not true. I think the opposite is true. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Mm. I agree. It does let you see where the sameness exists and where the differences exist. Yeah, for sure. But I would love to know one digital junk food or guilty pleasure you like to indulge in. Something maybe that is a bit of a time waste, but that you still like to get onto every now and then because it's fun. Oh, dear. That'd be Twitter. <laughs> because right now with our political stuff going on I seriously that's that's what I do mm -hmm. if if it's the morning I'll go through and I'll scan for tech articles mm -hmm. and then when I can get my downtime I'll go through and I'll scan instead for political stuff that mm -hmm. I want to read when it's not work time so it really is the thing that I use I don't use Instagram mm -hmm. oh oh I have one for you actually okay. So if I am actually bored on the phone or whatever, I'll go on Instagram and turn myself into a pirate or, <laughs> or whatever silly new filter is there. I don't send it to anyone. I just take... Okay, so that's my guilty pleasure. That's great. <laughs> I love it. And I also insist that you send us a photo of yourself as a pirate. I have it. It's I, awesome. I should have been a pirate. Okay. Thank you, Stephanie. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting. Great to talk to you. 7.34 on Triple R's Bite Into It with Dan James and Vanessa. And we just heard Laura chatting with the delightful Stephanie Ruiz at Web Directions Code. Now, Laura Summers, our roving by Intuit reporter, is um, now going to be speaking with Dmitry Baranovsky. This is an interview she recorded in the first week of August at Web Directions Code. She will be eventually. So I'm here chatting to Dmitry Baranovsky who is a SVG and JavaScript developer, speaker, and general advocate for doing things right. Thank you so much for chatting to me, Dimitri. Yeah, no worries. Just got some silly questions to ask you, so nothing serious about JavaScript. First of all, what tech problems wake you up in the middle of the night? Seriously, nothing wakes me up during the night. I have very good sleep. Uh, but uh, if something would, it's usually... SVG related stuff so like lately I'm working on SVG import and SVG import is very funny since anything could be on the input and you need to convert it into the whatever object model you have for in your application and obviously there are lots of uh, edge cases which are hard to solve mm -hmm. and which have to be solved mm -hmm. and that's usually what make me think and let's say it doesn't wake me up but it doesn't let me go to sleep very quickly so I'm usually thinking about it before I go to bed like how to how we can recognize this particular combination of elements because that's what we need to recognize to 
represent later on in our application. So mm -hmm. SVG input is funny and fascinating. Mm -hmm. Is that to do with the kinds of janky vendor code things get added in by programs like Illustrator? Is that the kinds of recognition problems you're talking about, or is it more basic than that? No, it's uh, basically like there are combinations. You have uh, you could have a clip path. Inside the clip path, you have a pattern. Inside pattern, you have a clip path. Mm -hmm. And then you have like this couple levels down, and uh, when it's all combined, you have to sort of read it and you cannot always translate it one to one to the model of the whatever application you use mm -hmm. so when you importing you have to simplify things but it should look the same well in the perfect scenario it should look the same so in case of you have use element and it's referencing something and use element creates its own viewport but we don't have a use element of viewport so we have to fake this by creating the clip path to clip all the area to scale all the area so it's getting like how to make sure that when user import svg no matter what's in there it could be invalid svg we need to do all these uh, error corrections as well. So, like, it's a lot of lots of interesting things in there, and yeah. <laughs> yep. So, understanding what people are trying to give you in terms of the art and trying to make it consistent and not ruin their art by pulling it in or not losing some part of the detail. Yes. Yes. So, it's the SVG you can you can get from any sources. They could be generated by. Illustrator, they could be generated by Sketch, they could be generated by Illustrator, then open and sketch and saved, or other way around, or then run through SVGO, then somebody open it up and mingle with the hands a bit, and then you, ha and doesn't matter what you have at the end, you basically you expect the unexpected, you're ready for anything. And that's like when you do SVG export, it's much easier. You just, okay, I want to create SVG which looks nice, I have a model, now I need to represented so it looks the same with SVG in the smallest amount of elements so it will nice and compact. But when you're importing, people are crazy. They could be anything, anything even more than anything. So no matter what, the graphical consistency should still prevail. So we should still have the same graphical concept, which is the same art, let's put it this way. Mm -hmm. And when I say art, I'm, because it's vector, we're not just talking about the way it looks, but it's also about its uh, structure. So mm -hmm. it's, if it's two elements, we should have two elements, mm -hmm. not three elements, not four elements, not one element. So it should be the same structures, mm -hmm. as close as we can get, since the uh, difference in the models. We, mm -hmm. we have different graphical modem in our application. Like Illustrator, for example, has one model. We have different model. SVG have third model. Sometimes it's easy to move from one to another, sometimes it's impossible. And you need to create five elements to represent one concept, which is mm -hmm. just one thing. Mm -hmm. For example, shadow. Yes. It's very easy, like in CSS, just shadow. Mm -hmm. Well, you go to SVG, it's a, it's a filter, and it's not very straightforward filter to create a shadow for element. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to export this as a shadow filter. Oh, then when you're importing, you should be able to recognize this filter as a shadow, mm -hmm. grab all the parameters from the shadow and create a shadow. Mm -hmm. So it's it's one example, but there are more like this. So I'm beginning to understand the complexity, and I just like to say, better you than me. That sounds really hard.
We saw examples of lots of mismatches in the way different browsers and devices recognize Unicode emojis, and now I'm imagining the same thing for SVG. Maybe even worse. Maybe even worse. Okay, that sounds horrible. So to move on to something more entertaining, what is the first site that you check in the morning? <laughs> okay, I check emails, then I maybe check Twitter. Uh, website, 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 website. I don't check any websites. That's absolutely fine. The answer is you don't like the internet so much. <laughs> Which might make my next question a little bit hard. I was going to ask, what is your digital junk food? What do you? What's your guilty pleasure for watching stuff online or like websites that you like to read? But maybe the answer is not so many. It's YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, like I'm watching YouTube's and uh, I read some comics. I mean, comics, not the comics comics, but there are some nice web comics. Mm-hmm. So I surprisingly found some comics uh, which are really deep and interesting, and I'm reading them. They have, like, releasing every week or every day, depends on where you read. Mm-hmm. When you stick to them, it's, you're always interested in how it's all going to end, and you're sitting and waiting for the next uh, mm-hmm. series to, to be released. And YouTube, yes, that's probably the worst, the worst of me. <laughs> <laughs> Can you um, give me an example of comics you read? Who's the authors that you like? Uh, I don't remember the name of the author. I read just one comic. It's mm-hmm. called Stay Still, Stand Silent. It's about some uh, apocalypt- ap- apocalyptic, futuristic uh, thing and it involves some magic and it's fun mm-hmm. and it's entertaining and they're like... It's very well drawn. Like uh, it's not drawn like a comics. Mm-hmm. Each page basically drawn. Like the girl who is drawing it, she's very good, mm-hmm. and it's basically look like everything looks like a picture which you want to put in the frame, put in the wall. It's very mm-hmm. nicely, nicely mm-hmm. done. So I'm just I came there because I like the pictures, and then I stick with the whole uh, story behind the comics. And now I'm just curious how it's going to end because um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, if you release it every day except uh, weekends, so I'm like. I think probably sitting there for half a year now, and I'm just curious how, <laughs> how and when, because I wanted to end soon, because I really, really want to know how it ends. That's pretty ambitious, releasing comics over that length of time. I wonder how she finds the time to draw all this stuff, mm-hmm. because it's, they, it's very complicated drawings. Mm-hmm. They're like lots of shading and stuff. It's like very well done. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wonder, is story also how... Is, does she know how it's going to end? Or is she just making it up on the way? Mm. I don't know, but it's very well done, like, not just in a, in a graphical form but, form, but also the way the story is going behind. It's very interesting concepts, and it, it's nice, it's nice. It sounds clever. It sounds like graphic novels that are more beautifully illustrated than your classic comics, and they tend to be a little bit more in-depth more like a full novel rather than you know a short comic but released online it depends i guess from comic to comics like mm-hmm. i saw some terrible comics and i was like i was reading one comic before and i liked it but then i was trying to find some substitute and i was looking for other and i spent some time and i can't find anything i was like this is rubbish it's not interesting and not well done and then i stumbled over this one and i'm like oh this is beautiful this is actually nice what i like about it that it doesn't take so much time because every day there is just one page, so I just check one page. It took me like, I don't know, five minutes, and I'm done for today. So it doesn't... Uh, YouTube is worse, because you can go forever. You can stay, spend all day on YouTube, basically. 
you can get lost in a click hole very easily. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm only looking at YouTube. I only I'm watching some uh, martial arts channels, martial arts as a hobby, and it's not something you can watch for too long. So I don't waste too much time, or mm-hmm. or I tend to believe that. I just installed a time tracking app on my laptop, and I've been using it to try and monitor my productive time versus my non-productive time. I don't entirely agree with its classifications about productivity, but I will say it's very eye-opening when you discover exactly how much time you spend on Twitter. I don't want to upset myself, to be honest. Very wise. One last question. What are you excited about at the moment? What are you hacking on or what projects? You mentioned your SVG work that you're doing with the WC3. What else are, or is there anything else that you'd like to chat about that's getting you excited to work in tech? Yeah, I think it's still, I think the SVG is underrated right now, and I think there is a gap in the in the process how people work with SVG. So if you treat SVG as an image and nothing else, then it's kind of okay. You can create an image, you can embed it in the page, you've done, you go through SVG op or maybe to optimize it a bit, and that's it. But if you want to do something more advanced with SVG, like you know, do some animation of some scripting through the then you don't have a tool which could help you to go from, you get it from Illustrator or Sketch if you don't like your SVGs, and uh, then you go into the text editor. And between these, you usually want to do some optimizations, and not even optimization, but uh, some tinkering. And uh, for this, sometimes you can go in the code, but sometimes you need a graphical environment because it's, it's a graphical format. For example, I have a shape under some transformation and I want to flatten the shape. So I want to cr- transform it into path, which is tr- with transformations already into the path. So it doesn't have any transformations anymore, but it looks the same. So if it's ellipse, I rotate it 45 degrees, now I want to convert it into path and remove the transform attribute because I want to do some stuff with it. Or I want to unite two shapes, or I want to uh, get re- change the attributes, IDs, something. I remember I was asked once to write what I want to do from SVG, and I wrote a full list of about 20 bullet points of what would be nice to have and what is impossible to achieve right now. Mm-hmm. I can probably work on it on my free time, but I don't have much of free time nowadays. Mm-hmm. I used to have lot, a lot of time when I was commuting to the office, and I was have one hour uh, commute and I work on a train there, then I work on a train back there, so two hours a day was a pretty good time to do some work, but nowadays I work from home, therefore I don't have time. Uh, my work is kind of interesting right now, so mm-hmm. I found that you're more active in the open source community when you work as shit, because then you have desire to do something beautiful. You maybe have an axe to grind a little bit. <laughs> when your day-to-day job is actually interesting, give you satisfaction, mm-hmm then your sideways project go. So nowadays it's, it's harder, but I really wish to fill the gap in the mm-hmm. SVG process. And I think this gap is one of the reasons why we see not so many um, interesting uh, usages of SVG, because SVG is more powerful than what we are using it mm-hmm. for now. I'm happy we use it more than we used to use it before, mm-hmm. but we still make putting nails down with microscope. Mm-hmm. 
So this, this is, there is more power in SVG than what we are using it for right now. So are you envisaging something like um, a code pen, like a, a playground online where people can play with parameters and write scripts to animate SVGs or, or like an SDK? What kind of tool would you like to see in an ideal world? I want to see an app, uh, maybe, be it web app or be it a uh, standalone app. Doesn't really matter. Maybe web app will be better, or maybe something electron-based, something like that. Uh, because I really want to be sure that what I see is exactly how it looks in the browser. Mm-hmm. I don't want to convert my SVG into some other model mm-hmm. because it's not about performance. Like most of the graphic editors, uh, they can't be done in web technologies because of performance reasons. You want to be smooth. And so far, I don't, I don't know, even in Canvas, it wouldn't be uh, smooth enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to be like web-based thing. And uh, because... You can go with uh, with some math to do this stuff. I mean, you can do all this stuff in Snap, basically, mm-hmm. Snap SVG, but uh, you need to know what you're doing. Most people don't. Mm-hmm. So, and that shouldn't stop them from uh, achieving the results. And, they, and it's like a chicken-egg problem because people don't do it because they're no tool. They're no tool because nobody's doing it. Mm-hmm. And they, nobody wants to create a tool because... Why? Because there's no uh, sort of... Nobody needs it, but nobody needs it because there is no tool. So I'm really looking for the tool mm-hmm. to, to come. Well, that makes sense. And it can be hard to monetize tools where people are used to getting apps like this for free. So I can imagine it would be a hard sell to monetize it enough to make it a full-time business. Yes, but it, it could be an open source. And I, I, would, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind to invest some time in it, but I have 24 hours in a day. Yes, don't we all? <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting to me, Dimitri. That was a bit of an ongoing ramble, but I really enjoyed it. It was great to chat. Happens to me all the time. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you, Laura Summers. And thank you, Dmitry Baranofsky. Um, Great sense of humour there. You could really hear his passion. And uh, I I liked hearing that, you know, there's a certain single-mindedness maybe that you need when you're you're, um, getting to uh, details. 7.54 on Triple R. You're with Bite Into It with Dan, James and Vanessa for our final little bit. It's been great fun hearing those interviews from Web Directions Code. Um, I hadn't been able to make it there, so it was great to, um, to hear from some of the talent after the fact. Another event that's coming up that um, you might want to catch a lot of talent at is DevWorld 2016, which is from the 29th to the 31st of August. It is Australia's longest-running conference for OSX and iOS developers and designers. And, uh, yeah, it's returning to Melbourne for its ninth year. So it's a community that also welcomes tinkerers, artists and scientists. Um, so it's it's kind of cool there's lots of different pricing models um but if you register to become an australian university consortium student member and the registration costs 50 bucks then entry to the conference itself is free now that is a bargain in anyone's language because otherwise tickets range from 100 to 550 dollars depending on what your category of attendance is so that's one we'll tweet out a link to dev world 2016 uh, those of us or those of you who uh, may have kids that are 
rearing to go for school holidays coming up in the next few weeks. Um, Acme have a program of all kinds of awesome creative workshops to keep uh, the, the, the kids uh, occupied, including family Minecraft, family Lego robotics, family scratch day, massive Minecraft movie, young coders, advanced young coders, YouTube stars. There's a whole lot of stuff, for, not just uh, not just your kids, but for you as well. Go ahead down I thought to the Acme. last one was YouTube Shiraz. I was kind of excited. <laughs> that, that, that's what the parents are after, some YouTube Shiraz. That's not the sort of whining that they're talking about. <laughs> oh, man. So... Weird news of the week. Weird. Dan, you've come up with gold this week. I don't know if it's gold because personally when I, – I don't know about you guys. When I go to the supermarket and I'm wandering around, you know, trying to find – I don't know, tortillas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the soft shell kind of, yeah. Where's the yellow part of the eye? Exactly. All I'm thinking is, man, this music that I'm hearing is so awesome, all I want to do is to hear it at home. And now <laughs> you can. Yes. Woolworths and Pandora have uh, teamed up to launch an in-store radio stream. So that that's not particularly new, but the exciting <clears throat> part is that Woolies are encouraging you to head home and tune in. I feel the, like we uh, should be saying uh, Woolworths and Pandora. <laughs> You, well, we, we probably streaming should be. Brian Adams. Oh, streaming God. to you live, twenty four seven. From a long, long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Don't look. This, this is just let's tune into Triple R like a normal person. <laughs> That's <God>. right. <laughs> I can only recommend that Dan's advice is sound. <laughs> Um, we did get a little distracted um, from some news articles. There was one about Watson this week that was kind of cool. There was. I. This is pretty cool. Like it was. Um, the Watson's correctly diagnosed a woman after doctors were stumped as to what um, was wrong with her. They initially thought that she had leukemia and couldn't figure out why the treatment wasn't working. So for, th- for those who aren't particularly okay. au fait, what is Watson? Uh, Watson is a computer and sort of a computer algorithm that can analyse data and it's trying to be an artificial intelligence effectively, which it kind of is, and it's and it's self-learning, so the more information it receives, the better it gets at solving problems. Um, I mentioned I was at, at Cannes and I went to a, a Watson's party and it was using um, people's um, moods to choose the music that was being played. That um, is fraught, that, uh, that whole danger. methodology. Danger, yeah. danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> yeah. um, Watson wasn't uh, smart enough to be able to work out that that may not have actually been <laughs> a good situation to be in. Uh, but back to the... the, the um, what they were doing with successfully it was in Japan they they worked out they thought it was a certain type of leukemia they couldn't figure it out and diagnose it correctly because the um, treatment they are giving her wasn't working so the University of Tokyo Institute of Medical Science decided to use the Watson information and look, use the patient's genetic data to come up to tr- uh, cross-reference it across 20 million on a on ecological studies, if I can get that out of my mouth correctly, um, and it actually managed to diagnose and find the right type of rare um, leukemia that she suffered from, so that they could treat. Which is it. amazing, right? Because yeah. it, you need qualifications to analyse those records, and you know humans don't have the time to go through that yeah. many records. So to be successful right? in just, building the smarts, comparisons to create. It's yeah, amazing. amazing. It's, it's such an accomplishment. So I, I mean, I, I was I know, when we were talking about this and we were on the ad break, I thought I'd quick, look, quickly look up uh, Watson and because we weren't sure when it was first developed. And it was first developed in 2005. It was talked about in 2004, and someone else passed on it. And it debuted in 2000. Sorry, I'd say this Australian way. Debuted is that how you say it? No, no, debuted is debuted. right. Yeah. E- either debuted. or. I'm, I don't think anyone's particularly debuted. precious about Imbued, that. Um, debuted. It, uh, at first, it played chess. You were correct. It was the first thing it did was play chess. Well, that's the important thing. We've heard that my memory was correct about something <laughs> for once. <laughs> Thanks, James. Look, it's 
it's 7.59. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened to the show this evening. Thanks to Laura for going above and beyond. Thank you to our guests, awesome. Stephanie Ruiz and Dmitry Baranovsky. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, James. We've been bite into it. Do stay tuned for the International Pop Underground up next. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.